Greetings. This is Jim McCarty, welcoming you to the LNL Research Podcast in the Now, episode number 80. LNL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community. And toward this end has two websites the archive website, llresearch.org, and the community website, bringforth.org. During each episode, we respond to questions sent to LNL Research from spiritual seekers like you. Our panel consists of Gary Bean, Austin Bridges, and me, each of us a devoted student of the Law of One. Your questions allow us to explore the Law of One and related matters of metaphysical interest. We hope only to offer a resource that enhances your own seeking process. Please know that our replies are not the final word on these subjects. We ask each who listens to exercise discernment and be sensitive to inner resonance in determining what is true for them. If you would like to submit a question for this show, please do so. Our humble podcast relies on your questions. You may either send an email to contact at lrresearch.org or go to lrresearch.org forward slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Jim McCarty. We are embarking on a new episode of LNL Research's weekly podcast, In the Now. Gary and Austin, are you ready to go? I'm ready. I, I am ready. Oops. Okay. This topic this week is something that I've labeled deleterious imaginary mental conversations. It comes from the last 10 or so questions and answers in session number 16 of The Raw Contact. And I'd like to read you this area so that you get a good idea about what we're talking about. Questioner, uh, all right, continuing with what we were just talking about, namely densities. I understand then that each density has seven subdensities, which again have seven subdensities, which again have seven subdensities. This expands at an extremely large rate as things are increased in powers of seven. Does this mean that in any density, anything that you can think of is happening? And many things that you never thought of are happening? Are there, everything's happening? This is confusing. I am Ra. From your confusion, we select the concept with which you struggle, that being infinite opportunity. You may consider any possibility slash probability complex as having an existence. Questioner, does what we do when we think of possibilities that can occur, shall we say, like in daydreaming, do these become real in these densities? I am raw. This depends upon the nature of the daydream. This is a large subject. Perhaps the simplest thing we can say is, if the daydream, as you call it, is one which attracts to self, this then becomes reality to self. If it is contemplative general daydream, this may enter the infinity of possibility slash probability complexes and occur elsewhere, having no particular attachment to the energy fields of the creator. Questioner, to make this a little more clear, if I were to daydream strongly about building a ship, would this occur in one of these other densities? I am wrong. This would, would have, or shall occur. Question. And then if, say, an entity daydreams strongly about battling, let us say, another entity, would this occur? I am wrong. In this case, the entity's fantasy concerns the self and other self. This binds the thought form to the possibility slash probability complex connected with the self, which is the creator of this thought form. This then would increase the possibility the possibility, probability, of bringing this into third density occurrence. Question. The uh, many wanderers coming to this planet now and in the recent past, are they subject to Orion thoughts? I am wrong. As we have said before, wanderers come... I'll start that again. <laughs> I am wrong. As we have said before, wanderers become completely the creature of third density in mind-body complex. There is just as much chance of such influence to a wanderer entity as to a mind-body-spirit complex of this planetary sphere. 
The only difference occurs in the spirit complex, which, if it wishes, has an armor of light, if you will, which enables it to recognize more clearly that which is not as it would appropriately be desired by the mind-body-spirit complex. This is not more than a bias and cannot be called an understanding. Furthermore, the wander is, in its own mind-body-spirit complex, less distorted towards the, shall we say, deviousness of third-density positive-slash-negative confusions. Thus, it often does not recognize as easily as a more negative individual the negative nature of thoughts or beings. Questioner, would then the wanderers, as they incarnate here, be high-priority targets, shall we say, of the Orang group? This is correct. Questioner, and if a wanderer were to be successfully infringed upon, shall I say, by the Orang group, what would happen to this wanderer at the harvest? I am wrong. If the wander entity demonstrated through action a negative orientation towards other selves, it would be, as we have said before, caught into the planetary vibration, and when harvested, possibly repeat again the master cycle of third density as a planetary entity. Okay, since we've got all of this information under our belts now, how about discussing the possibility of our having engaged in such thought forms? Uh, Austin? Have you ever had this experience of uh, talking about something of a disharmonious nature, say, with somebody in your mind before you talk to them about it? Uh, have you had any feeling that there might have been some influence causing you to go, say, further in your mind than you would in the normal reality? No, I would never do something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all sunshine and rainbows in my mind. Um, yeah, I think... For me, this was uh, is a constant thing, and I'm not sure to what extent, but I have a feeling that for most people on the planet, maybe, this is a very common phenomenon, because I hear it referenced a lot, both by seekers and just by other people, that um, they have constant conversations running in their head. And then I think it's very easy for it to turn down the argumentative and sort of battle path to where you imagine scenarios in which what you say gives you some power over the other person, you you win the battle, you make the best argument possible, and they are ashamed of even trying to match up to your standards. Um, so yeah, I definitely have uh, done this, and uh, it continues to happen um, in my mind. I, of course, try to not do it, but... Uh, the other part of your question was whether I felt like this has been influenced from other sources before. Right. Um, yeah, I think especially uh, working in proximity to this material and um, at LL Research, it feels like uh, standing closer to that light is um, sort of putting a highlighter on opportunities for discussions like this to sort of unravel in my mind and um, you know, working with other people and as a group. And if there's a disagreement or you perceive actions in a certain way, and um, if you are tempted to think that somebody uh, is behaving a certain way because they think a certain thing about you, um, that sort of can get out of control in the mind, I think. And you start thinking that this person... Um, doesn't have your best interest in mind and they don't have the best interest of other people in mind. And uh, normally I get to a point pretty soon on as it starts spiraling out of control that, wait a second, this is not rational, normal thinking. This is 
it feels like it is being fed by something else. And I'm always very cautious to attribute something to psychic greeting because it could be an excuse to not actually deal with that thing that you're thinking about. Like you could just say, oh, that was just psychic greeting. I can just forget about it. But the reality of psychic greeting is that they energize distortions that are already there. And so if those things are entering my mind, I try to first look at why they are there to begin with. And then having the context of psychic greeting might make it more useful and more helpful to understand that um, this isn't necessarily the normal strength of what I would be feeling, that this is sort of targeted and intended to throw me off balance. And just having that context might help me actually grapple the original distortion a little bit more. So short answer is yes, for sure. I <laughs> well, I like your extended answer. It's a good job, Austin. <laughs> uh, Gary, um, doing just a slight uh, variation on that question, uh, to start off with, why do you think people in general engage in such uh, fantasy conversations, and, and how about your experience with it? Why do people in general engage in such conversations? <clears throat> um, I don't know. I guess to answer that question, one wouldn't have to ask why anybody processes anything within the container of their mind complex. Um, I guess it's part of the design of the mind itself that we're negotiating a seemingly external reality um, with internal conversation, internal reflection, and um, I think this is true not only of this category of thought complexes, but thinking in general. Like Eckhart Tolle says, we are, we, we're compulsive thinkers, we're addicted thinkers, or addicted to thinking. All of us, most of us on this planet are walking around with this monologue that is ceaseless happening inside of our brain, as it were, in, in our mind. We're constantly talking to ourselves, and that talking um, can be a habit that's cultivated through consciousness, or it can be a, a largely unconscious process that, as happens when one is unconscious, um, shadows creep in, the weeds grow in the garden. So what was the second part of your question? Well, have you ever engaged in it yourself? And what's been your experience with it? Why do you think, it, if you do such a thing, why, oh, do, yeah. why do you think you do it? Yeah, for sure. This has been um, a repeating theme in my own mental life, definitely. And I think, yeah, on one hand, the mind needs freedom to explore and range over topics, including if it um, has negative or critical um, review to offer, or including if it has negative emotions, especially if it has negative emotions to, to process. So it can be a helpful tool for processing disharmonious uh, interpersonal dynamics, for mapping out situations, for questioning, for probing, um, insofar as consciousness is brought to the process insofar as you're witnessing yourself doing this and you're not just on a blind autopilot and the mind so to speak has run away with you and I think that um, it, it can also be a tool of self-revelation. If you're having these, as you describe them, Jim, deleterious imaginary mental conversations, then it's uh, maybe showing you that you have some 
blockage in the orange or yellow rays, or there's some need that's not being met that's causing this to rise up. Like Austin said, he, he pulls back and asks himself, well, why is this happening? What, what is this pointing out to about me? So it may be an unmet need. Maybe uh, something is not being communicated that really needs communicated, so you're looping through these, these processes. I think it become, can become dangerous um, if it's not eventually resolved into harmony, but just cycles indefinitely in the mind um, for any, any number of reasons. Um, one, if you're engaging in these processes, you, you may be, to some extent, lowering your vibration. You may be tinkering with your polarity. It may, if unresolved, manifest in the body, um, as the body does. It mirrors the mind complex to the mind. So um, there may be some disease or condition and uh, but also in terms of likely this disharmonious conversation that you're having pertains to somebody else. I mean, maybe it's strictly with the unmanifested self and your own self of sense worth and your sense of self worth, and you're just beating yourself up with negative thought patterns, and it's not connected to anybody. Um, but in, in the case that it is connected to another self, then it can be particularly dangerous for reasons that Austin was um, beginning to describe because it warps the situation and you begin to lose faith in the other person and trust begins to erode and then you think that they don't have your best interest in mind or whatever was the seed of this disharmony then expands outward and you're viewing that other self through the same lens and it's darkening that other self and then you're questioning all their motivations or what could have been a pure motivation from the other person seems to be um, bent towards hurting you you know you really misapprehend <laughs> what's happening because you're engaged in this conversation and you use the word deleterious deleterious as well and that speaks to the the siphoning of the vital energy that this process um engenders as well you really um can lose energy when you're stuck in these mental ruts over and over um so to conclude i, th I think that it's it really needs um if one is not finding balance and harmony within the self then the best means of dissipating this is to really communicate with the other person and compare notes, do a reality check. In my experience, that is uh, when I've held on to these things that loop inside, it's typically through talking with the other person involved and saying, this is my experience, what's your experience? Let's see what's intersubjectively true between us. And you find that uh, some of it was just shadow. Uh, it's just um, in your head. It, it wasn't substantiated. It was a concoction that your mind made. And uh, other times there might be something there. But bouncing it off the other person is puts it in a space whereby the magic can um, transmute that stuck energy and bring it up into the heart. And uh, finally, rather quick conclusion, you asked about whether this um, has been a Ryan influence in my experience. And I would echo Austin's thoughts and say too, like it's a lot like uh, the phenomenon that we call climate change and its impact on certain weather patterns, like a, a hurricane can be particularly destructive. Did climate change um, cause that or exacerbate that? It's hard to say, you know, no, likely. So there's a lot of presumption on my end that there I certainly have been targeted that way. And there have been 
um, intensities in my experience that can be just overwhelming. You know, you're the, you really, whatever your external circumstances, however harmonious, the mind can be cornered into really dark hallways of torment. Um, and I think when there is that level of intensity, when there's that level of repetition, and um, I, I think that there there's could be hallmarks of uh, Orion influence, but the benefit there of seeing the psychic reading, I think Austin adequately described. So that's me. Nicely done, Gary. Very nicely done. Uh, well, as far as my take on why this is uh, such a common practice for people. Um, I think that this uh, concept of having these mental conversations in our minds could be something that's related to the cultures in which we live. In our culture here in the United States and in the West in general, we are operating under the system of capitalism, which is basically competitive consciousness. And we each are kind of in a struggle with each other to see who can get the most money. It's like a big game of Monopoly. We're trying to see if we can um, go around the board a few times and pass go and <laughs> get all of the accoutrements for our standard of living, our um, social status, our uh, possessions, uh, the bank balance, uh, the college future of the kids. Everything seems to hinge on how much money you can get and um, what you want to do with it if you should get enough or what you do if you don't get enough. So we kind of have to battle each other, and that's rather unfortunate in my mind anyway. And I was wondering myself whether or not more primitive cultures, maybe the ones we have in the world today now, I mean, the indigenous peoples, I wonder if they have anything like that, this, this mental uh, imagery or fantasy conversations about uh, the next-door neighbor or... Um, whether maybe they get along a little better. Uh, Ra was talking about how in ancient Egypt there was a time during which um, the common ownership of all things, all properties, uh, houses, uh, land, uh, tools, all were commonly owned. And uh, I believe that's the way it worked in the Bible too, communal, the communal living. Uh, and at some point there was the introduction of money to replace barter, and then the individual ownership of things and properties to replace the communal ownership. And that, of course, makes me think of uh, influences from Orion, because for a very long time on this planet, the Orion uh, group, or the empire, if you watch Star Wars, um, has had the desire to create an elite and rule the planet. And they have various means by which they may accomplish this. And it's, I'm just guessing. I mean, Ra never said it. And I don't think anywhere in our many years of uh, channeling information from the Confederation has ever been said directly that um, the Orion Group provided the money. But, you know, this old saying, um, the want of money is the root of all evil, is something that is uh, very old. You find it in the Bible. And it indicates that this, this thing that we call money uh, has a deleterious influence on us and causes us to separate ourselves one from the other as we are in this great race to see who can get the most money. And I'm, I'm just guessing, uh, my opinion, that before money and uh, barter was replaced by money and there was common ownership of uh, all things, that 
to be far less likely that a person in that kind of a culture would have the uh, mental construction, shall I say, or impetus to talk in its own mind about someone with whom it did not have to compete. They were together in their efforts to move as a community. They were a communal consciousness. They weren't competitive consciousness. And I'm just guessing that uh, in such an environment, there would be a very clear and conscious way of resolving difficulties so that you wouldn't have to uh, continue them into your mind and manufacture your side of the story because it was everybody's story. Everybody wanted to partake in it. And if there was any difficulty, then uh, it would be uh, resolved by the, the group. Um, in the Bible, it says frequently, uh, if you have uh, a problem with uh, your neighbor, uh, take one or two witnesses with you before the council and speak before everyone the difficulty that it may be resolved. So uh, that's just my opinion. Uh, I think now I would like to go on, or I'd like to go on, unless somebody has a comment. Any comments about <laughs> what we just uh, discussed? Um, I do. I didn't get to respond to the question about why yeah. <laughs> we do this, but if we, you want to move on, that's fine. I no, no, no. I, I forgot to ask that part to you, so this is a, re this is a, a, a take two. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I, um, both of your answers, um, I think, were really, really interesting and good and uh, touched on the heart of what I think is it. Um, I would add uh, as sort of an accentuation to uh, what you were just saying, Jim, about um, the culture, our culture sort of energizing this. I think that it is true, our culture energizes it, but at the same time, there's also sort of this innate quality to third density. Um, there was at a, a practice channeling, I think last time, um, we got messages about abstract thought and how it was unique to uh, third density and how um, it had a lot to do with why we were so focused on the head instead of the heart. And I think Ra also talks about abstract thought sort of being this defining feature of third density. We're able to think about things that are in our immediate experience. We're able to Im imagine things. We're able to consider concepts that aren't just directly in front of us and imagine new situations. And I think that plus um, the nature of third density being innately interpersonal, that there is sort of this... Uh, element of third density that is meant to be social. And Ra says even before the veil that uh, in third density, they use the words, the, there was the requisite amount of disharmony to produce various experiments in what you may call governmental or societal structures. And so I do think that the money system, the innate sort of competitive system that we have in place in third density definitely enhances this tendency to think competitively in dialogues in our heads. But also just, I think it is a, an aspect of third density itself is that there is already this catalyst of interpersonal butting heads and we have then this capacity to think abstractly and combine those two. And I think it just sort of naturally becomes the fact that we are um, imagining dialogues of uh, disharmony with people. Excellent. Gary, any comment from you? 
I hadn't before linked the capitalistic system that we live in because it's um, written into the fabric of our reality to this question, but I think it's a really key insight, and I appreciated your reply, Jim, and both of your replies. And I would just add, to that there's also, um, even in a system of common ownership, I think there's multiple ways due to um, factors that Austin was describing, the veil, the nature of third density, the rational slash analytical mind, or rational slash um, intuitive mind, and so forth, uh, reasons to be injured by one another, too, that can lead to this sort of dialogue. But as you point out, Jim, there may be community systems in place to help um, mitigate against that ongoing separation. But that's it. Thanks to you guys. Okay. Now, let's say a person has discovered that uh, he or she is engaging in these types of what could be deleterious and imaginary mental conversations. What would you recommend that person do? In I mean, what is the potential negative effect on the person? And then what can they do about it to try to ameliorate it? Uh, Gary, how about we start with you this time? I think one technique may be to question oneself and to start with the recognition that whatever is moving through your head is one perspective and that there are others that um, illuminate whatever the situation is and to acknowledge that um, without those other perspectives likely what is moving through your head is incomplete it's in need of the other perspective to become complete and I think so much of working with this process is could be captured with the word awareness or mindfulness or the witnessing consciousness. Because a, a lot of what um, is transpiring has a lot of unconscious momentum. If it's if it's taking hold of your mind and running with it, and especially if it's being exacerbated by um, negative greeting, that is all pointing to the fact that it's likely somewhat less than conscious in you. Something in you that you has not been, you're not fully aware of, is, that you haven't fully integrated, that you haven't loved and forgiven, is being brought up. So the less that you bring conscious awareness to it, the more it has its own momentum and it's going to run away, uh, as it were, and. Dang, I had another thought. But I think part of that conscious awareness, too, isn't simply just witnessing. though That is the, a key part as well. But it's really consciously attempting to direct the attention. Um, like I said, if, if you're not bringing mindfulness to it, then it's going to run in self-justifying, self-reinforcing echo chambers in your own head. And it has the uh, likelihood to fester, to grow, to become malignant, and so forth. But by bringing conscious attention, then you can direct that energy to more productive questions that begin to transmute that energy into higher expression. Like Ra says, the goal of using Catalyst is to distill from it the love and light. And one key mechanism of that distillation process is to bring a certain focus to your catalyst. And to me, that means like asking, literally asking oneself, where is the love in this moment? Or how am I blocking love? Um, or how can I focus on the positive quality 
of the other or the moment, or how can I find the opportunity for growth in this moment, or see the creator in the other self, or what can I give, um, as is the theme of the prayer of St. Francis that Jim says before each podcast, what can I give instead of how am I not receiving what I want? How am I being injured? Uh, what can I surrender? What can I give up? How can I serve? I mean, there's so many questions that when you bring them to your mental catalyst, you're going to aim that catalyst towards transmutation into higher and more productive expression. Um, and part of that, too, is that these deleterious mental loops often have among them as a chief characteristic the lack of empathy for the other. Like I said, you're walling yourself off from the other self's perspective and the total indulgence in one's own catalyst. I've seen that in myself so many times. In that self-reinforcing loop, you're just indulging um, your own energies and cutting yourself off from the uh, true reality and situation of the other self. And um, and part of that, too, part of that disharmonious mental dialogue is that it's selecting, it's rather uh, utilizing memory and experience in a way that's very selective. It's tending by not bringing your conscious awareness into it and, and um, transmuting it left to its own devices it unconsciously is selecting memory and experience that just feeds its own narrative, which is why becoming mindful then or asking consciously chosen questions allows that perspective to open up. So the memory isn't so selective. So you're remembering other things that could feed into and factor or rather change the equation that's, that's happening in your mind. But yeah, that's what I got. Okay, good job, Gary. Uh, Austin, what do you think? How, what should a person do if he or she discovers that they're taking part in this type of an imaginary conversation that might be deleterious to another person or itself? Yeah, and then there was another part of the question of how might this be affecting them negatively, right? Right. Um, starting there, um, I think Gary talked a little bit about that in his previous response and to build on what Gary said, he said this, you know, continues to darken the perception of the other self. He mentioned that it could fester and become a body catalyst. And I would even take that further and say, bringing the mindfulness that Gary talks about to the conversations, you can realize that it is actually already body catalyst. If you find yourself having these arguments in your head and then pay attention to how you feel in your body. I can guarantee you that there is tension, that you're holding your muscles tight somewhere in your body, in your shoulders, you're clenching your fists, you're grinding your teeth. Um, the muscles in your head itself are probably very tense. And that already is causing you body catalyst. And then that grows from there because sort of what this is at least in my non-professional opinion, but um, it's not completely uneducated, is a stress response. It is releasing hormones in your body that are typical of our second density survival mechanism to either fight or flee. And this is, it becomes unhealthy. Like there's tons of research on the effects of these sort of 
fight or flight hormones, if they are unutilized, essentially, you know, they're meant to make us either fight or flee. And so if we're just sitting there and allowing them to build up in our body, they kind of manifest in these very um, deleterious ways. And that is either, if you want to look at it just materially, you know, there's a lot of science to back it up, but then there's the metaphysical side that Ra talks about and that Gary is mentioning that this mental catalyst just also will become physical catalyst if not through those direct material means then by more indirect spiritual means. So it can be very uh, dangerous to your health itself to allow these to continue. And then uh, to build on that a little bit further, I talk about this concept on the podcast a lot, but it is one of the most useful things for me to consider is the idea of neuroplasticity or the fact that when we are engaged in thoughts or activity, we activate certain neuropathways in our brain. And the more that those pathways are uh, activated, the more solid they become, the more easier they are accessed in the future. And so when you are engaging in these conversations, probably already because those neuropathways are very solidified in your brain to begin with because of things like the nature of our competitive culture and just the fact that you have done this already many times, you are continuing to solidify that. And it doesn't just mean that it will happen easier in the future. It means that those pathways are more easily engaged when you are in real conversation with that person. So you will be more likely to have that neuropathway activated when you're talking to that person in real life and not just in your head. And so you can see there's probably a lot of reasons to try to stop these um, arguments that go on in your head. And so uh, what I would suggest to build off of what Gary said, mindfulness is definitely, I think, primary to even just discovering that this is happening in your mind and to recognize what is happening. Because like he said, there is a big unconscious component to this. Like this happens, I think, mostly unconsciously for most people. Um, and once you are able to bring mindfulness to it, there are a few things that I have found very, very useful in dealing with these sorts of things. Are, um, one, you realize or recognize or understand that the other person that's in your mind is literally actually you. Not in the sense that the other self is the creator, but this facade that you've created in your mind is actually you. You are the person behind their dialogue. You are the person holding their views and arguing for their views and arguing against yourself. And you can see the sort of absurdity to that, that you are actually just fighting yourself in your head. That this other person that exists in your head is just you wearing a different mask. And that kind of helps bring the perspective that they are also just a person just like you and that uh, they're wearing masks just like you are and that um, they are also the creator just like you, that whatever you've created in your head is actually you and they probably have a version of you that's in their head. And so I think that perspective kind of helps to relieve the um, immediate tension of feeling like they are a thing that is imposing on you and it that imposition feels like it continues through that argument in your head. And then um, further than that, 
after realizing that, I think there's a lot of power in the words that um, Jim opened the podcast with, where Ra was talking about the imagination. Don and Ra were talking about daydreaming and imagination and realizing the power of imagination and what is happening when you're having these um, imaginary arguments. Um, imagine flipping it on the other side and uh, thinking about having a conversation with this person that is actually going very harmonious, where you start from a standpoint of disagreement, but you're able to talk to this person and they express their views in a way that you understand and you express your views in a way that they understand. And by the end of the conversation, you come to an agreement and everything is happy. It's not likely that that is immediately going to be what happens with that person once you are confronted with whatever conflict is there, but it sort of flips your own internal perspective on what is possible and what can happen and how you can approach this person and how this person might uh, act. And it also helps give you a different perspective on their point of view instead of viewing their point of view as something that is innately counter to your own uh, point of view. You are viewing it as being a valid conversation piece that um, you can entertain yourself instead of something that you just have to defend against. So I think that's about um, the extent of my thoughts for that question. Uh, nicely done, Austin. Uh, I like the concept of uh, realizing that what you're carrying on in your head is a conversation with yourself and that if you have a problem with some other self that you're actually talking to yourself and they're doing the same thing. I think, I think this is basically what Rod talks about in the mirroring effect, that we reflect to each other who we are, so that if we see something that we do not like in another person, it's very likely because that exists in us and we're still trying to work with it and to balance it or remove it or uh, hopefully balance it. Um, I think Ra had uh, a technique... Uh, for purging the self of a poison thought form that was in 4014. Uh, just the part that de deals with this says that uh, those entities in need of purging the self of a poison thought form or emotion complex do well to take care in following a program of careful fasting until the destructive thought form has been purged, analogously with the byproducts of ridding the physical vehicle of excess material. Again, you see the value not to the body complex, but used as a link for the mind and the spirit. Thus, self reveals self to self. So I think that's just another way of saying that we are reflecting to each other that which is within our being. And because we're able to do that, and everybody is able to do that, if we can consciously realize that, then we can accelerate our own uh, growth process. Uh, I think that also on a, a personal level, I think Gary has started to touch on this, that uh, if we look at the nature of the conversation, what it deals with, which energy center it deals with, for example. Uh, frequently, it's the, you know, the orange one-to-one, uh, -one, it could be the yellow, you know, as we're in groups and dealing with groups, um, that we can begin a balancing process, which Ross suggests, to uh, uh, examine any type of a conversation in our meditations at the end of the day. If we're, you know, if we can develop what I guess Carla called it, um, uh, a rule of life uh, where we have a way of looking at our own behavior and thoughts and growth, hopefully in meditation and usually at the end of the day as a kind of a recap of the day and to see what we can glean from the day. Has there been anything during the day that has stood out in our experience 
that can be of use as a, a way of moving forward on our evolution of mind, body, or spirit. So we could take whatever was the topic of our conversation and perhaps engage in the balancing process so that that particular quality then becomes more uh, effectively balanced and neutralized in effect so that instead of engaging in some kind of a negative or deleterious conversation with another entity in the future on that topic, perhaps we could also instead, or instead, um, find love and open-heartedness within our own being for that entity, which is the same as loving ourselves for having whatever quality it was as a means by which we might know the Creator and the Creator might know itself. And uh, again, as Ross said, uh, we the mind contains all things, not just uh, the things we like. It contains a lot of things we don't like, and both of them need to be balanced. So I think that's one of the things that we can do when we find ourselves engaged in these conversations is utilize the balancing process and, and actually use that negative-seeming conversation as something that we can flip and make it positive and, and, and grow from it. Uh, any um, comments on this particular question from either either of you? Yeah, I have a couple of points, and that's that um, I understand from the Confederation philosophy that we're always only working on ourselves, and this is one bright way to do so, of course. But when uh, Austin was saying that like, in these internal processes, you're n not really interacting with the other self, you're just interacting with yourself and your representations of that other person in your mind. And while I largely agree with that being the case, like part of me rebels against the idea that we're all such isolated islands from one another that we can never truly interface, at least in the interior um, of our mental dialogue. So I was thinking about that a little bit, and I imagined, or surmised rather, that insofar as we're having blocked energy in our first triad, we're likely dealing more exclusively <clears throat> with ourselves completely and not with uh, a truer representation of the other person. But if we can get the energy up into the heart center and higher, of course, then we there may be some more interface with the other person in the interior of our being. Um, <clears throat> At that point, though, if we're getting energy up into the heart center, we're likely not having these conversations or these uh, argumentative uh, inner conversations. Um, also, though, I think there is something to be said about being impacted by the energy of one another. While, yes, we are only ever working on ourselves, we are sending our energy through us, from us, whatever the case may be, to another often in through the medium of our interactions, whether an email or uh, a hug or being punched in the face, whatever the case may be, <laughs> our, our energy systems receive that other person's energy and then can become that argumentative dialogue inside. But there is something about the other person that we are working with on some level, though ultimately I, I yield to the understanding that it's, we're mostly shadow boxing with ourselves in these conversations. 
All right. Good job, Gary. Well, I think we fairly will cover this subject. Is there any comment that any of you would have as a final comment upon this uh, topic? Um, well, I did have, uh, actually wanted to ask Gary uh, about that last point. I was wondering if you, uh, what you meant, what you were saying was that if we are having these uh, arguments with other people in our head, that in some way they're actually metaphysically involved in that, like their actual being is involved in that argument. You're asking if that's what I was saying? Yeah. Uh, I think that somehow it's, I think that it's entirely possible that we could have, I, I mean, for instance, um, I could get upset with uh, Denzel Washington and have a really intense argument inside. He likely uh, has no connection to that process uh, whatsoever. But in terms of like the intimate loved ones in our lives with whom we are interacting and have done something that in our minds have triggered uh, this argumentative conversation, I think like some part of them is with us. I don't know how to say that. I don't know how to quantify it or uh, delineate what part of them is, but of naturally, we must take responsibility for that own for that conversation. And whatever the other self does or doesn't do, we are one hundred percent responsible for our reaction and for what we do with that, and for whether we love them or whether we hate them. Um, but nevertheless, it feels like that other self, especially that one is actually interacting with, um, lives somehow inside of the self. Okay. All right. Any other final comments? Final, final comment? Not for me. Nope, not for me. Okay, I guess I would just make one more little comment, uh, focusing more upon the possibility that a person having this type of a deleterious conversation in the mind might be also suffering from what is rock and we call the psychic greetings or uh, influence of negatively oriented entities that would like to see this uh, negative thought we've begun enhanced so that maybe there could be more negativity come out of it for us, which would gain the negative entity a little bit more power. And during the raw contact, we discovered that if we were uh, experiencing such a type of uh, a greeting, that it was a good idea to uh, meditate and to send love and light, heartfelt love and light, to the negative entity that was sending the greeting. And then to send that uh, love and light also to the form the greeting was taking, uh, to send that love and light to whatever person or um, quality, to uh, probably the person that we were having the conversation with, uh, send the love and light to them, um, send it to ourselves, and then surround ourselves in love and light. So it's uh, a little way of reaffirming the fact that we are all one. And it may seem that we're separated one from another, even seems more uh, obvious, it would seem, that we're separated from those who are on the negative path. When in truth, we are all brothers and sisters traveling the path back into unity with the one infinite creator. And at some point, that will become more obvious as the uh, negative polarity has to be gotten rid of and flipped over into the positive polarity in the sixth density. So I think that uh, if we are conscious enough of what's going on in our minds and utilize the uh, tools of balancing, of purging the self of a poisonous thought form, of uh, sending love and light to any negative entity, 
then we've got basically a, a toolkit for uh, moving more easily and effectively through the uh, third density illusion and um, making ourselves available for graduation into the fourth density of love and understanding. So with that, I will say that uh, you've all been listening to the LL Research's bi-weekly podcast, In the Now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our websites, llresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thank you so much for listening, for supporting this podcast with your questions. If you'd like to hear us ramble on about a particular topic, please read the instructions on our page at llresearch.org forward slash podcast. New episodes are published to the archive website every other Wednesday afternoon Eastern time. We want you to uh, know that we appreciate so much all the love you send to us uh, uh, in the form of questions or just listening and partaking in the program by uh, listening to what we have to say. And uh, we send you our love back in return. Uh, you can be sure that uh, there is a lot of love at LL Research that is going out to all the LL family and anybody who listens to our podcast. Uh, we love you dearly. You are our other selves. That is the truth. We are all one. And we all can help to bring each other home. Have a wonderful couple of weeks. We'll talk with you again. Yeah.